Hey gang! Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts is funded by Patreon. Join for early access to special bonus episodes and exclusive material, including the upcoming Scooby-Doo Book Club. Joining is the best way that you can be a part of shaping the material we produce, and we are super thankful to everyone who contributes. Thank you to David Green, Kyle Michaud, Katie Maxwell, Jordan Ferguson, Pablo Corden, Matthew Bang, Blake Sawyer, Ashley Martinez, Dan Reed, Gabriel Pesek, Toj, Jade Core, Wynn Richport, Samuel Chesser, Bradford N. Smith, Page on Gaming, and Alicia Harper for funding this episode. Welcome to Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts. The original podcast that painstakingly goes through all Scooby-Doo media in search of those two Scooby-Doo absolutely or Scooby-Don't under any circumstance. I'm your host, Amelia. And I'm your host, Billy. And we're watching Mystery 101. TV series, and it feels so good. Does it? Does it, though? Feels better than having an unknown amount of time for each episode. From a logistical standpoint, I can't help but breathe a nice sigh of relief to know that it's going to be 22 minutes of content, and then we can immediately record and have a lovely little podcast under our belt. You're still going to talk for like an hour 20 because you won't shut up once you start going. I'm very excited to talk about things. It's kind of the point of recording it. But the actual watching, that's over with now, and we did it. We watched the first episode of Be Cool Scooby-Doo. And what did you think of that at first glance? So we're a minute... 35 into this episode when mm-hmm. uh, the creator of this series is going to turn us off because I don't have anything nice to say. I <laughs> I have nice things to say, but I do have a rather large caveat. And I'm probably going to save that till the end before my verdict. Well, then I'll start us off on our well- bitchin'. <laughs> We open on, I assume, Tom Kenny, because as soon as he opened his mouth to start <laughs> speaking, I was like, holy fuck, it's just like the opening narrator to a Powerpuff Girls episode. Uh, yeah, Tom Kenny plays Dean Longfellow, Joe Simmons, and Russell in this episode. Who the fuck's Russell? I assume uh, just well, the dude that was I would say he's the probably the dude at the beginning. Let's pull up a picture on Scoobypedia. Yeah, he's the father. That's what we open on. We open on a father and son duo. They are a legacy family at Kingston University. Their fathers went there and their fathers before them. And they don't know why. That was the running joke at the beginning. Now, no one in their family ever wanted to go to Kingston University, but they just did because it was expected. Once the kid that's being dropped off here has his own son, then it's his turn to... Make that son suffer. <laughs> Boot that's, him off. That's the joy of being this legacy family, apparently, is making your son fucking suffer. I mean, isn't that sort of like the lineage of white people, though? Being like, you know what? We did this thing. We don't quite know why. We didn't enjoy it. But like, hell, you're not. You're going to get out of it. You're doing it. You're do- If you want to live under my roof, you're doing it. 
And the thing you're doing is getting out from under my roof. And living at Kingston University. Well, I personally would have preferred to hear less about Kingston University and more about the city of Townsville. Because it was just the goddamn Powerpuff Girl narrator voice that Tom Kenny was doing. As much range as Tom Kenny has, everybody has a limit. And I, I think he just thought, hey, this guy lives in a similar world to that narrator. I've only ever known Tom Kenny to do, like, the Spongebob voice or the narrator voice, which is just his regular voice. I don't know if I'd call that range. He does a pirate voice pretty well. I guess when he gets patchy going. So maybe, going. maybe <laughs> if a pirate had brought his son to this university, that would have been appropriate. Would have been a really interesting opening. Maybe instead of uh, Elias, this could be like Redbeard University. Bring back that old villain. What government... Would subsidize Redbeard University. <laughs> it de- it definitely sounds like somewhere where you would learn to brew your own beer, doesn't it? <laughs> What's the premise for this? Uh, Velma's dream of attending Kingston University might come true if she can only solve the haunting of its founder first. Am I going to be the one that says that that was terribly written? <laughs> I Well, here's the thing. And terribly acted as well. I, that's the thing. I don't think it was terribly written. I think it was terribly <laughs> voiced. I could give it another crack, but I don't know if it would be better. For some reason, there are just stumbling blocks there for me personally. No, what we're going to do right now is we're going to talk about our opening theme. Because it's new. It we is. we got a new opening sequence. Because, you know... Can't all be Mystery Incorporated as much as Amelia really wants it to be. Hey, can't all be What's New Scooby-Doo. As much as Simple Plan wants it to be. There are a lot of good theme songs in the history of Scooby-Doo. This one, the whole opening sequence. I mean, there's a giant spider in there. That intrigues me. I want to get to the episode where they're running from the giant spider. I think visually the opening credits is fine, but the music absolutely falls flat. There's there's really nothing to distinguish this as something Scooby-Doo or, like, scary or... I agree. It's kind of generic. The moment that I think I kind of get with it is right at the end where they all sort of start banging their heads in the car. Like, they're all kind of doing that to the beat, and I'm like, oh, that, this I like. But then it's like, You're it's, gonna it's get- too short. It's too short of an opening sequence, and I know that's just, like, the world today, that we don't do opening title sequences a lot anymore. I want a little more. You're gonna get metalheads on our ass by calling what they do head banging. <laughs> they bob along to the beat. They don't even go as hard <laughs> yeah, you're right. as it's... what is love at Night of the Roxbury. They, it's very, it's, it's a head swoop. It's a, it, it's a bump. But a bump. Well, not they that. Cannot see it's you too a tune. <laughs> I I think our listeners know I am not the definitive one to carry a tune. Who are we starting on in our main gang? I I feel like I have an equal amount of notes for all of them here. It's very much Velma's episode, so I, I feel like starting with her would be appropriate because this is also where we can talk about Kate Micucci. We got a little preview of her in some of the Lego shorts, but this is her real introduction here as Velma. How do we feel about her? For me, personally, I've never really cared much about Velma enough to, like, really 
care when her voice changed. Like, mm-hmm. Marla Frumpkin was a real outlier because she had no idea what the hell she was supposed to be doing. They didn't even try to make her sound like a Velma. Yeah. Mindy Cohen will always be, like, my Velma because, you know, she was what's new through to Mystery Incorporated. Mm-hmm. Like, that was my television series there. She's fine, I guess. I think... I, the- I really... Eh. I think she absolutely suits this Velma. It's a very, it is a very different sort of Velma than we've seen before. And I don't quite know how to describe how. She's nerdier. She's always been a bit of a a nerd, but this... I think the best way to immediately describe the um, character models of this series is frantic. Everyone's totally fucking frantic and they have no idea why. But it's happening because I guess everyone's doing coke now. (laughs) It's frantic. And the thing that I am a little bit against here, and I know this art style is wildly divided. But in this episode specifically, as I'm watching, there is less emotion on their faces. This is clearly a series that was designed for like a gag, gag, gag. But there are a few moments in this episode where I feel like you could have twisted the knife with a little bit of emotion here and there. And the writing did it. The voice acting was doing it. But nothing on the face. Well, I don't agree uh, with your first two points, but I'll agree (laughs) with your overall point that there's no emotion on these faces. The art style was the main reason when this was on Netflix Canada, we only got, like, six episodes in before I was like, nah, let's cut that shit out. I don't remember this at all. (laughs) Now that we've actually watched it, I don't remember this episode. We watched at least six episodes. Might have been a few more, but we watched at least six. This, this fucking art style that has decided to Doc through the cartoon universe <laughs> really pisses me off. And I've said it before where I've described it as Seth MacFarlane-esque and you've gotten all over my ass being like, well, Seth MacFarlane didn't have anything to do with it. That's why I put the esque on the end of it. Mm-hmm. Like Seth MacFarlane has created a lazy art style that everyone does because it's cheap and supposedly funny. Every adult cartoon has to look like this nowadays for some reason. Did it really have to spread to Scooby-Doo? I don't hate the art style on everyone. I honestly feel like it's probably working pretty well with the original characters they've brought in. Like, I really like uh, the Dean's look in this episode. I really like Mitchell's look. I, I think they work. I even think Elias Kingston works in this art style. But there is just something about the main gang, because I we've known them for so long. We've known them as very full, rounded characters, that it is hard to see them abstracted into being so flat. Like, yeah, honestly, even way back in the 60s, I feel like you were getting more detailing on their clothing than you are now with the, like, upgraded technology that you could be. You could be making a really beautiful cartoon, but again, because Seth MacFarlane found some success with Family Guy, now everything's gotta look like this. Keeping things with Velma, 
This is, I said this was her episode because the plot line is that Velma wants to attend Elias Kingston University and she has an interview for it. The first scene is her sort of being anxious that the rest of the gang is going to mess it up for her. So that like when she goes and out into the world as Velma, she sort of has their baggage around doing all this zany shit. A very odd choice for episode one of the series. This, for me, didn't feel particularly earned, because, like, literally, the first shot we're seeing of Velma is her being like, oh, I gotta get away from this gang. Yeah, it's like, she hates her friends, everyone. (laughs) That's, (laughs) That's... That's what we've learned. At first, it's fine, because she's, like, upset that Kingston University wants her to come in for an interview when every other university has just accepted her point blank. Some have even reached out to her. But Kingston is the only place that wants to meet her before they approve her. So she's just like, what do they want from me? Mm -hmm. But then Daphne jumps in with her stupid shtick and she's suddenly like, oh yeah, I fucking hate you guys. What are you doing? Why did I even let you come with me? (laughs) Yeah, which I feel like you, you, there are layers there, and you can play them all. But as the first introduction, it it's makes a, it, it makes it kind of rough. It's yeah, a bad introduction for Velma. Is it as bad as Velma is in a relationship with Shaggy? No, because that's real off. Yeah, that was all, like <laughs> something about series nowadays. What they're doing with Velma is they they launch her poorly. I th- I think Mister Incorporated found her as they went on. Maybe this series is also going to find her as they go on. But just a a weird choice for episode one. She literally gets on the campus. They they learn of the ghost and Fred's just like, this sounds like a mystery. And she grabs him by the face (laughs) and says, university acceptance first, mystery solving second. And that feels so very wrong. Yeah, so now what I know about Velma here in episode one is that she does not want to be involved in mystery solving. She doesn't want Fred to speak. She doesn't want Shaggy and Scooby around. She doesn't want Daphne near anything breakable or within sight because she's just a fucking lunatic. Again, near the end of season one, even even midway through, I would totally get it. Establish that this is her as a one-off, like, wanting to present herself well and being conflicted between these two. But you gotta pet the dog first. I will praise the gags in this to an extent. There was a joke I really liked at the beginning where they asked what Velma got in her SATs, and the response was a Nobel Prize. I enjoyed that. I really think the Nobel Prize people are looking for something a little less rigid and standardized (laughs) testy than the SATs. She thought way outside the box. That's the thing. Actually a very poor SAT score... But the Nobel Prize outside of that. Yeah, I was about to say that no university is going to want her if she fucking blew her SATs. Because America, you are a fucking hellscape no matter what you do. Um, They also seem to be taking the savant trope with Velma here. You know how you get like those crime solving series? Oh, where she does the beautiful mind math Yes, she has a beautiful mind. The Dewey Decimal System. Oh, look at her. She's a fucking nerd. That, or or even, like, going into blueprint mode as she's explaining the Kingston Manor. The Dewey Decimal System is incredibly racist, and librarians hate it. They wish that they could reorder their books, but because the Dewey Decimal System became so standardized... Really? Yeah. 
I, librarians hate the Dewey Decimal System. I 100% believe that it's racist. I wouldn't have guessed that they hated it. But it also makes sense at Kingston University because, whoa, Kingston University is definitely, like, exclusionary and racist if any university was. Is it this universe's Harvard? Or is this a step above even Harvard? Like, I mean, they make it out to be, like, the world's best university. So if you want to, you know, I'm not going to weigh in to the Harvard-Yale debacle. I'm not willing to take those blows on Twitter. Oh, well, clearly but... not. You went to York. <laughs> I, went, <laughs> I went to nothing. I'm pretty but... sure the world's best university is Toronto's own U of T. Like, I think, overall, it is voted the best school. Higher education. So, suck it, Kingston College. Yeah. Also, that Americans call it college and not university? There's, there's like, there's a difference between college and university. Yeah, and we, like, distinguish it in Canada, but they just call everything flat college. Oh, yeah. Right. I, l I literally couldn't remember who did what where. <laughs> it all just blurred in my well, mind. aren't you such an intriguing well, person that's... to talk to? I don't remember what happens where ever. <laughs> I mean... Hi, I'm Billy. Don't ask me to spell it, because I don't know which way letters go ever. They go left to right. Um, thank you for that cutting jab. Velma <laughs> also gets a cutting jab in at Shaggy. Uh, at one point, Daphne puts therapy puppets on all of their hands so they can roleplay a little bit. And Velma gets right in Shaggy's face like, Ooh, I'm scared and I'm a little baby and I'm two years old. And it's just like, oh, Velma. Nobody likes Shaggy. I don't know rage. why we keep him around. But it was just like, it was so unrelenting. Like, oh, I'm two years old. I poop my pants and I like to smell the poop in my pants. Like, that's what it felt like to me. And Shaggy deserves that. He did. I'm with Velma on this. I'm not with her that one of the clues that led her to figure out who the villain was, was that letters were sloping at this degree, which meant the person writing it was a lefty. I'm a lefty. My letters don't slope like that. No, they don't. That was a cartoon amount of sloping. And I think this slander against the left-handed needs to stop. Also, can I talk to you, Kingston University? There's this program called Excel. And if you want to have a list of the amount of money that students have given, like, it's a great program. But you could have, it would do sums for you right at the bottom. You wouldn't have to worry about losing that one piece of paper that was written with a quill by a coal-warmed fireplace. And I'm not saying that was unrealistic of the series. I'm like, what kind of school is Kingston University where they don't have Excel? Apparently on the same level as Hogwarts where you're not even allowed to bring in a Bic pen. Welcome to Kingston University. Poop in the hall and just <laughs> magic it away. <laughs> Shaggy will fit right in then. He likes to shit in his pants. That's what... <laughs> That's, that's what Velma, Velma says. <laughs> I know. I know Velma didn't say that. That was a little a little lark I had. Why do you feel the need to? Specify I don't know. That? Look, I'm just, all the all the Yaleans and Harvardites are already on my ass. I don't need the all the headbangers too. <laughs> oh God, the three worst groups. <laughs> uh, moving on to the sh you know what the Shaggy and Scooby shenanigans. Sure. Why do they have a wedding cake? They just show up in a fish costume and a, a mariachi band outfit with a wedding cake. Now, like, 
they've been known to wear these costumes on occasion in order to, like, uh, fool a villain or to hide. This is like a heist that they've set up. Like, this isn't anything to do with the mystery. Shaggy and Scooby have ruined somebody's wedding day. Yeah, it really makes them less likable. <laughs> like, it drives home Velma's point of, like, yeah, you need to get away from these people. It's not that they're weird, it's that they're bad people. This is, mercifully, I will say in this incarnation, light on Shaggy and Scooby. So far. So far. I have a lot more notes on the rest of the gang. And it, it just seems to be a little more getting back to basics of this group of four teens and their dog being equal. I don't want them to be equal, though. I want to see less of Shaggy. Well, that's what I mean. That's what you got, because ordinarily we're seeing a lot. So by comparison. Oh, no. By those last couple episodes of Mystery Incorporated, they weren't doing fuck all. Well, and I was just tickled pink. Well, we'll see what happens here. It, it For me, it got back to classic vibes where they had some gags. They were doing things in the background. And then they got a little solo scene where they had some fun with a vending machine. Uh, which they already got in the David Bowie episode. <laughs> it, I was going to say, that's <laughs> what it I thought back to. Diabolical Disc Demon was that one? Or Neon Phantom? Neon Phantom was a roller disco. So Diabolical Disc Demon would have been the, uh, the Bowie kiss hybrid. Unfortunately, yes. Uh, in the background, Shaggy and Scooby wreck a painting while trying to straighten it, and they have to quickly repaint it before the owner notices. Flashes of that Lego short where they broke yeah. Daphne's picture <laughs> and then had to rebuild the frame before she noticed. You know what I enjoyed about this, though? It was in the background of a scene where we were actually forwarding the plot, getting more mystery information, so that, like, it's best of both worlds. I feel like there are a lot of series where we would have just shown Shaggy and Scooby fucking around with the painting for 15 minutes. Yeah. And then moved on to the rest of the mystery. Yeah. So, like, they're, they're getting that balance right. I also really loved the gag of, I think they were, they were talking something about, like, why anybody would want to run away. And then it did a big zoom out to show that Shaggy and Scooby were, like, 50 feet away from the rest of the gang at that point. Mm-hmm. Clever camera tricks. Also, the gag that Velma says it's a higher education death trap. Scooby is scared of death traps. Shaggy is scared of higher education. And I actually had notes here that when they, when they were like, I, I like that angle for Shaggy, that he doesn't like higher education. Would have been interesting for me if they went up those creepy staircases, saw the Hall of Vending Machines, and now Shaggy's all about it. Maybe this episode ends with Velma not going to Kingston University, but Shaggy does. Uh, yeah, Shaggy is now gonna go to Harvard for the fucking Harvard Dining Hall, sure. That's gonna happen. Because you can't just find a vending machine on a corner and get the same thing that they're offering. He's yeah. not smart, so he doesn't realize that. If he, if he wanted to go to vending machine paradise, go to Japan. And then I don't have to look at them anymore either. You could get all those Look, flavored Kit I've solved all our problems. You want to talk about Scooby biting Shaggy's butt? Some ass eating does happen here. 
Scooby does a chomp on Shaggy's ass and he gets some flesh while doing it. Shaggy is trying to be a team player, though, in this kink exploration, so he's going to work <laughs> through the pain. Shaggy asks when he's forced to climb a spooky clock tower why, why they never find clues in the cafeteria. You, you always end up in cafeterias. You Can you not lie for once in your worthless existence, Shaggy? My god. Was- climb the fucking clock tower already. Is it too you- much to ask? You've been in so many cafeterias. Thelma's trying to get into this school. Be a team player. <laughs> when they end up in that cafeteria, it's nothing but vending machines. Yeah, it's, it's like a hall of vending machines. It's a hall of vending machines. A prestigious university like this would have a dining room. Even York offered you that promenade of fast food well, joints. Yeah, but just because you have a dining hall doesn't mean you can't also have like a room of vending machines. I kind of saw that as maybe, like, that was an adjunct of the library. Because, like, you're in the library, you're studying, you want a little something to eat, but you don't want to go too far. Yeah, you'll get something from the vending machine. But, ooh, school administrators, am I going to put a very loud vending machine in the middle of the library with all of its its boops and sirens? No, I'm going to move those vending machines up to their own room. So that you just, like, have to go upstairs from the library do your vending business, and come back down to keep studying. Of course. That's not the point I was trying to make. The point I was trying to make is that they get stuck in a vending machine after that they do. putting their arm up in it to retrieve the, like, cake they ordered or whatever. They both end up getting stuck in it. Which is a standard joke at this point. Yes. And it is a standard joke that peaked when it was not only executed better but executed more comically because it was live action in community. Mm-hmm. Like when Shirley has one word with Abed and then looks back to find like both of her children stuck in that vending machine. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, someone's in the vending machine. I am kind of over that joke in general. Did I laugh during it? Yes. No, you didn't. Obvi- I gave a chuckle. Don't lie. Ob- Neither of us laughed out loud Ob- at all. I, I, I know my own laughter. And I heard it. I did laugh, but, like, it wasn't, like, a laugh of originality. It was like, okay, this, yeah. Like, like because the gag works, I laugh. I want to tie that back into the art style, because, like, people that have worked on the show have said that they needed this art style to execute the comedy better. But, like, looking at the comedy of someone getting stuck in a vending machine, this family guy motherfucker isn't doing it for me. It's funny when it's live action. How did that kid get in there? It yeah, be, it's, it's easier to think that this Shaggy could be inside of a vending machine. Like, honestly, the comedy is only going to be stronger the more realistic these people look. A realistic person getting into these stupid situations? So much better than Peter Griffin after he's lost some weight getting into these situations. You can, you can judge for yourself which one I think is Peter Griffin after he's lost some weight. That'll be a fun game for Twitter. Can I guess? I mean, that's a, no, that'll be a less fun game for Twitter. That, that's, <laughs> that's the game of, did I hear what Billy said? <laughs> <laughs> Last note for these two, another general note. I thought Scooby was supposed to talk less in this series. I feel like he did. He still talks a hell a lot. See? Wasn't it something like he's only supposed to have five different words every episode? 
I thought here, it was he only says three words at a time or something like that. Like, no soliloquies. Well, whatever it was, he's, he's still talking a lot. I didn't notice it, didn't have a problem. I did, because My... I had specifically been told, hey, keep your eye out for this, we did something clever. Right. I don't know, I did see a lot less both Shaggy and Scooby. So, this is just one episode, it might be something I need to view as a trend. Moving on to the Fred factor. Fred can understand why Daphne made a bunch of puppets of the gang, but he can't understand why Velma is talking to them. I like this initial flash of Fred that we saw, of a very, like, straight man person, who is just like, yeah, I understand the wackiness here, but it, what, what are you doing, honey? Why are you talking back to the puppets? Fred's character design, along with Shaggy, because they're in pants. Oh, I hate their skinny little thighs. For the for our Patreon, we just recorded an episode of Goober and the Ghost Chasers, and all I can think of is Goober's knobbly knees whenever I see their knobbly knees here. I, as a child, drawing drawing skinny people, I would draw those knobbly knees all the time. But as an adult, not a fan of it. The thing is, a knee should be unnoticed. The thing is, the women have thighs that look like a they can support a human body above them, mm -hmm. and B looks like it gives them proper genitalia. What the fuck is happening with the enclave on the men? Fred has incredibly tight pants. Like, if, if you go from this top half and draw what you would imagine his body to be, and then think of how compressed they are in those little pipe pants of his. Tight pants on Fred. Tight pants on all the men, and apparently no dicks as well. Moving on with Fred, he Daphne-proofed the van, which we haven't talked about Daphne yet, but seems really fucking insulting to Daphne as a character and a person that you have to put child safety locks on everything for her or she's gonna stick a fork in the outlet. It's another thing where... I hate it. <laughs> it, it just feels unearned. Like, I... I see how they wanted to take Daphne in a totally different direction of being, you know, you're just going to focus in on danger-prone Daphne, she's a klutz, and then on top of that, Daphne wanting for herself to create her own identity and her struggles with that. Oh, we're going to get into that we, when we get to we, Daphne. We are. Right here with the thought of Daphne-proofing a van... They're all adults, or nearly adults. If Velma's trying to they're get going accepted to university. in the university, they're at least 17 here, and you have to baby-proof the van against one of your closest compatriots? She's clumsy, but she's not an incompetent half-wit. Or, at least, she's not supposed to be. I suppose the jury is still out on Be Cool, Daphne. It's just really... Wait, uh, like and it's an insulting joke. If they had said, oh, I thought you had shaggy-proofed the van. That would mean, like, putting down a napkin so he can't get mustard in there. <laughs> That's funny. That actually is really funny. Yeah, it's... Again, it's, it's introducing a brand new idea and doing it very harshly. So, uh, again, maybe something I will understand and grow with as it goes on. But in this one episode, it... It seemed harsh. Fred also seems to have just done tech upgrades to the van. A lot of them. 
Like, he's got a little remote control where he, it, that van can now do tricks. Way more, even, than when Shaggy and Scooby gave it magic powers in their own series. Where they were... Get a clue! Shaggy and Scooby-Doo get a clue. Where on the scale of egregiousness does this fall, <clears throat> given the other options of Spy Car in Get a Clue, the upgrades that Fred does in What's New, the flying car that the government gives them in <laughs> Frank and Creepy, and Daphne just owning a fucking cargo jet. <laughs> Th- this, I, and again, it's <laughs> gonna, know, it's like... gonna feel, it's gonna feel like I am not being consistent. And hey, that's a consistency in Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts. But I'm actually very fine with this, of like Fred tinkers with the van and makes it do things. And I think possibly, because this is a more positive directional change, you have to earn negative direction with me, whereas positive direction I can kind of roll with. Fred has always been a van guy, especially in latest years. So him ha- ha- making mods to it makes sense. I also loved the line because at one point he uh, presses a button and the mystery machine is made to look like a junker. So I loved the line, the best security is looking like you don't need any. And crossbows. And then a crossbow comes out of the mystery machine and shoots a bird? Kills an innocent bird. Does it bird. shoot a bird? Yeah. They're showered in dead bird feathers. That <laughs> didn't... Okay, that... I didn't really put that together until I said it. Stop killing birds, Fred. Fred is not impressed by the campus security's plan to grab the ghost if it walks past him at the time that he is disguised as a bush. Oh no. This is no better than Dan Aykroyd's plan in Ghostbusters. I have seen Fred Jones so much worse than that. (laughs) Admittedly, yes. If, I have was, I have seen Fred Jones look at a ghost and shout, "Grab it!" just like Dan Aykroyd did. It actually would have been really funny if the security guard had like a net ready to go, and Fred was just like, "You can't catch a ghost in a net." And then it's like, "Oh, this Fred's different than the ones we saw before." Galaxy Brain. What's happening? Possibly the stupidest joke in this episode. Fred isn't scared of heights. Y'all, he's scared of widths. Do you hear the cricket sound effects that I've put in here? Because that's the room when that joke was made. I kind of liked the joke. <laughs> it's brought up once and then they they actually like go to it where he has to walk across the roof, but it's too narrow. Here's the thing, though. It's sort of absurdist as something you say that you're afraid of widths. When he's actually on that roof and it's too narrow for him to walk, that's a legitimate fear. Like, that's legitimately, I don't know if I can walk out that way. That's, 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 not, not, that's not an absurd fear. That's like vertigo. Yeah, but that's not just the fear of wits. Exactly. Exactly. It's still the fear of heights. It's a, a rational fear of I will fall to my death because my brain, my monkey brain knows I'm up high. Yeah, because, like, I I liked the joke of I'm afraid of wits as an abstract idea. But as soon as they brought it real, I'm like, oh, that's not really, like, the same silly gag that you were saying. You know what I actually loved, though? I will give this a lot of praise. The scene in the library 
when the ghost came while Fred was on that library ladder, and Daphne goes and pushes it, and Fred has to, like, drive the library ladder through the library? I love that. They're on railings. Yeah, but he's gotta, like, he's, he's, he's gotta, like, jump the curves and stuff like that. Here's, there's some skill that Fred's doing there. And that's, that's Fred the driver <laughs> showing through. Yeah. You also, like, long, I don't know if I've ever talked about this before, but I fucking love a library ladder. I've never gotten to go on one, would love the chance one day. There they are. Ever since I was a child, and in Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> Belle got up in that small bookshelf on that library ladder, which, looking back on it, may have been a regular ladder. I have just loved them. Mm-hmm. So seeing a full chase of the library ladder, you know I gotta love it. Did you ever go into the library at York University? I, I had the internet, so not really. Well, maybe you missed your chance there. You played yourself. Because there were definitely library ladders at the U of T library. One day. One day I'll be allowed to leave the apartment again. And go to where the people are. No, I'm sure they've all been taken out for danger of people falling off them by now. <sighs> That's true. U of T also had bookshelves that compressed together on racks mm-hmm. when you didn't need them. And if you needed into a specific one, you would press a button and they would all... Oh, I've, s- I've seen those at the reference out. library, I think. They have them there. Very common in libraries now. Just wanted to point it out. Some... You missed your chance for ladders, because now they're all robots. <sighs> Talking robots taking yet another bit of joy. Moving on to Daphne. Get everything nice that you have to say about Daphne out of the way right now, because I will not be stopped once I start. I really liked how at one point Daphne put on the Velma puppet and said, Only I shall live! (laughs) Because I have no idea where that came from. It seemed utter madness, and I did enjoy that. But yeah, we've kind of hedged around talking about Daphne. Let's hear your thoughts. So begins the Daphne that I'm going to hate more than any other Daphne I've ever seen. More than Pup. More than Pup. Because there, she was at least consistently spoiled. Right. Like, her entitlement of Pup is really what I did not care for. But here, we have a character whose defining characteristic is quirkiness. But... Quirkiness is not a personality. Your personality can have quirks, but you cannot live your whole life like Zoe Dachanel being like, oh, I'm so quirky. I have a personal vendetta against people that, you know, like, live their lives like that because of a bitch that I actually know in real life whose whole personality is just, look at how fucking quirky I am. This Daphne having puppets this episode and then whatever random garbage she's going to have the next episode isn't a personality. And I can honestly argue that her doing all this random garbage is just as bad as her having nothing to say if it's not about Fred Jones. She's still doing all this random crap for other people. I, I really liked the gag that they had early on. When she was doing the puppets in the van, but then accidentally, like, kicked the stick shift in the mystery machine. And it was like, oh, this is danger-prone Daphne. And she's sort of trying to get away. Like, I like that's what I put on it. Of like, oh, maybe she's trying to get away. 
but I want to see that conflict in her. I want to see her not enjoying being danger-prone Daphne. Here is the difference between danger-prone Daphne and quirky idiot Daphne of Be Cool, okay? Clumsiness does not equate to your intelligence. Her kicking that fucking parking brake makes her seem like a half-wit. Right, like, it could have been done in a klutzy way, but it wasn't. It was done in that in the way that it happened. Danger prone Daphne up to this point has been occasionally she'll lean against a wall and it's a secret passage. Sometimes she slips and falls on the ground. Here it's that she's lying on her back in a van so she can put puppets on her feet. <laughs> yeah. And I hate it. I just fucking despise it right off the bat. If you think that like Fred and Velma's introduction was harsh. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, no. Daphne's like, is abysmal. I 100% agree. I think, like, Daphne is the real... I needed an introduction to this. I needed a soft launch for this, Daphne. So far, I haven't had it. And I, I want to know if it's something that's going to come up. To expand on the random garbage that they gave her to do this episode with the puppets, she gives everyone puppets in like a janitor's closet to just start a puppet-based argument at one point. She, because like, you know she what? She them as like therapy puppets. You know what? I guess we hadn't seen enough of the puppets up to this point. We gotta put a whole fucking scene in where they yell at each other with puppets on their hands. There is a way to this but it doesn't Take that way, it just, it just pop, we're there. Un, un, I'm going to keep saying it, unearned. But, I mean, hey, if we're going to be sort of one note and random, what a better place for that than the minor mentions. Okay, sure. Son and father that yeah. we see in the opening. They're, they're here for the cold open. They pretty much are just here to... Have a meta-conversation about how their family is truly miserable and hates life. And then they get scared by the villain and run away. So they're, they're irrelevant to the mystery at hand. More relevant is Mitchell. Mitchell works at the Little Gas E gas station. He sees a lot of things. That makes him a substantial character in your eyes. <laughs> well, he's... That he can stand there and say, Working customer service, I see a lot of things. <laughs> um, he talks to the gang, I guess, is what makes him more substantial. I don't even know if he gassed up the mystery machine. That would have been helpful. Here's the thing, though. Talking to the gang doesn't really make him any more substantial when you don't see literally any other person in the background not talking to the gang. Right, yeah. This is the most barren college town I've ever seen. They're all scared off. Boston is a major city. People are still going to live there. I guess that's true. You're you're not, like, scared off of Harvard and then Boston (laughs) empties out. It's all we had. Without the university, this town shudders. No, you can't see the bar from Cheers. People from Boston have a very distinct accent, and that is not it, sir. Yeah, and America is a melting pot, and people from all locations can move there. (laughs) God, I hate you. Joe! Joe! Campus security. Go, Joe! We first see him while he's trying to camouflage himself to catch the ghost. It's all about tactics. You'll hear that a lot in this episode. It's all about tactics. 
The joke is his tactics are piss poor and he sucks. He's a very bad security guard. He catches the gang trying to break into the dean's office and with a short explanation, he happily opens the door for them. Some might say that all security guards are very bad because all security guards are people that couldn't even get into the uh, police academy and anyone gets into the police academy. All you gotta do is prove that you can make like sound effect noises with your mouth. And that you hate black people. There you go. Ironically, the guy who did the sound effects. Well, just because there's black people in the police force making sound effects with their mouths doesn't, doesn't make... mean that systematic they are, racism They are a racist exist, institution. Really. We all know this. <laughs> uh, and then our third minor mention is Dean Longfellow. I think you mean fifth. Oh, yeah. I father, did... son, Mitchell, I Joe. I hardly count the father and son. Because they didn't attend Kingston University. The father did. Oh. And I assume the son is being forced to come back. That's true. His whole thing was literally that he attended it. I'm an idiot. The dean highly believes that Kingston University is the best college on the planet. Only people with a special certain something get in. And uh, Yes. Let's talk about this. Because this is sort of the edict of the university as a whole. It's sort of inscribed on the statue outside that if you even have to ask if you're Kingston material, you're not Kingston material. What does he classify as a special something? Your rich Republican parents add another wing to the dormitories? Or you can build an engine? Because people that get into Harvard probably cannot build an engine. (laughs) It it's, it is impressive if you can do something like that. That's the thing. Look, we, look, we just talked about systematic racism. This is the thing. And, and, like, this is an exclusionary university. You see the actual portraits of Elias Kingston, their founder. He's literally, like, stepping on a dog's neck. What like... a fuckwad <laughs> he looks like. Your school founder is is painted reveling in animal cruelty. Yeah. And you go from there. Not a good place. Dean Longfellow, like, for all his faults, he seems just like a very uh, beraggled, frustrated academic. Yeah, because he's lost all his alumni. Yeah. No one's giving him money anymore. He's about to be framed. He also wishes he had friends. That's what the episode closes on. When Velma's just like, I'm not going to come to Kingston. I have more stuff to do with my friends. And he says, ah, friends. Wish I had some. It is too late for me to care about you, sir. <laughs> Fuck off. Also, well, I saw that and I'm like, Velma, what the- So you're just not going- You're not going to- At any university? But, like, yeah, they're your friends and you hang out and stuff, but, like, live- You gotta- You gotta- What do you want to do with your life, Velma? Uh, she wants to go on a total fucking bender with that quarter of a million dollars she got from her Nobel Prize. <laughs> That comes with a well, large shit. cash prize. You know what? Go for it, then. <laughs> I didn't realize a bender was on the line. Let's have some fun. The villain of this episode is familiar. As you may have guessed, it's Elias Kingston, old Blueface himself, from, I think the episode was What the Heck's Going On? Something with a hex pun in the title, yes. I did not care for him then. I do not fear the ravages of age, as was his whole thing. (laughs) I guess they changed that year, but still. This is another thing about Be Cool that I'm just not 100% sold on. The taking of classic villains and repurposing them 
to new stories. I'm really sick of the bringing back old villains and they're doing the same thing story arc that we've seen a couple of times now. Right. But I'm not sold on this one either. Yeah, it's... Like, how did you feel when you saw Space Kook on the roof of the van? I mean, because I only felt disappointment. I I am excited to see Space Kook. But honestly, what makes me more excited in the opening title sequence is that giant spider. So I'm excited to see uh, the new original villains that come up, too. Get off the spider. That <laughs> spider better show up! I will be spending this series waiting for the spider. But yeah, um, Elias Kingston, old blue face himself, retooled as an angry, exclusionary white man. Oh, I did want to point out, you know what actually this, this did remind me of? That one PSP game where they go back to Kingston Manor and it's been retooled as like a, a hotel suite or something. So having the manor turn into a university here is also very interesting. It's referencing it and not referencing it at the same time. It leaves me at a bit of a loss. What is the master criminal plan here? It is Joe and Mitchell working together because Joe is Mitchell's father and he is still pissed off to this day that he didn't get into Kingston University and he's pissed off that his son didn't get into Kingston University. Maybe this isn't a problem with your family. Maybe it's a problem with this shitty-ass school that's going to charge you too much for information that you can get at a community college for thousands of dollars less. <laughs> right? Like, ah, he works, he's worked at this school for years. He has to see the inherent problems in it, the, the assumptions that are made about other people, like... But instead of trying to fix that in any meaningful way, he decides on a shitty ghost revenge plot with his son specifically just to benefit his son. And this is honestly, this is interesting because it makes it not like, oh, the problem was the institution. It was the problem is these working class people who are challenging the institution. But he's not challenging the institution. Like, he's fighting white entitlement with his own white entitlement. Mm -hmm. And it's not working. <laughs> You're not using your privilege to help anyone but your own son, who looks to be about 35. Why are you trying to get him into university he now? He does look quite old, especially compared to the rest of the gang here. Like, if you look like you have more testosterone than Fred Jones, you <laughs> the scale is skewed. Is this a feasible plan? I guess, but at the same time, like, Mitch just goes to trade school. Like, maybe that could be Plan one. There's so many other things that he could do. It might be feasible, but it's just, it's not the best plan forward, Mitch. And Joe, you don't have to do this. You don't have to become the villains just because this institution was already a villain to you. And you especially don't have to become villains that only benefit yourselves. I guess I want to sympathize with the villains more. Is, is that like, do I want to understand the plan more and be like, yeah, suck it to him? But I just don't feel that here. There's really nothing here to be empathetic about. You hear certain villain motivations like, I don't know, fancy pants from the first Hex Girls episode mm -hmm. in Mr. Incorporated, right? Like, he's pissed that his agent dropped him, that everyone stopped caring about him, that 
had something and then it was taken away from him all he, of a sudden. Like, that's kind of sympathetic. This, he had specific targets he was getting revenge on. This is literally, I'm going to scare every other freshman off the face of the earth so that my shitty-ass gas attendant son can go to a prestigious school because I feel entitled to it. Mm-hmm. I, I think the best way to build sympathy and empathy and compassion is to not make your villains drive... I'm entitled to this. <laughs> yeah, that's never a way to your heart. Um, but uh, is it a way to your fear? No. Where Where does this no. one land on the I terror scale? I wasn't scared of Elias Kingston and Where Are You, and I'm not scared of him here. I. He gets a two for being able to install a hologram in a clock tower. Yeah, I'm going to go low here as well. I was going to go with a four. But I'm going to bump it one down. I'm going to go with a three, because I'm also not sure where I put Elias Kingston originally. The ravages of age are scary. I mean, white entitlement is scary, but in a different way. That doesn't scare me. <laughs> it makes me frustrated. This villain frustrates me. Do you have any other thoughts and feelings on Mystery 101? Just that, from this point onwards... The writing is going to have to do real heavy lifting to win me back. Right now, I don't like this show. I don't like it. The art style lost me as soon as I started seeing promos for it. Things like music is totally unoriginal. Oh, mu music? I, uh, I was into the music. No, the closing theme, the opening theme, so bland. Don't like it. Um... The recycling of villains, I'm so not behind. It's gonna have to do a lot to re-engage me. I'm totally disengaged right now. Well, let's hope it does, because... Yeah, because we got 52 fucking yeah, episodes that's, of this that's series the reason to watch. I'm, that's the reason Ugh. I'm hoping, <laughs> for Ugh. our sake. So is this a Scooby-Doo or a Scooby-Don't? I think the sounds I just made pretty clearly give you my opinion on this opening episode of Be Cool, it's a Scooby-Don't. It's really hard for me to separate this specific episode from Be Cool in general. I want to give Be Cool in general sort of a Scooby-maybe right now, as a first impression. But on the grounds of this being a first episode that really makes a bunch of wild changes that I very strongly feel are unearned, I think I might give it a Scooby-Don't as well. So, we're starting off harsh. Yeah, I think, like you say, the, the biggest problem with this right now is that this is the first episode. Mm -hmm. Maybe a different episode could have been first. I guess we'll see as we move through this season. Like, I know I often say I, like, I don't want just that, you know, typical average mystery and then the actual story. But maybe that would have helped here. I don't know. I think going into a more episodic, not story arc driven series might be what's throwing us just a little bit because we knew that Mystery Incorporated was going to be this arc. It was going to hit this character note, that character note, this plot point, all in that order. Whereas this one has to do a monster of the week. But the first episode of Where Are You, I feel, did an appropriate job at establishing them as characters. The, the first episode of What's New, I thought, was one of their stronger episodes in general. Oh my uh, god, I can't remember snow... now. Oh, the, the snowboarding championship. Yes, yeah. Yeah, 
Fred, mean, Fred broke his leg. Daphne had to go out on her own. Again, a, a Daphne-heavy story. Well, this one was a Velma-heavy story. True. But so, Daphne made her presence known. That's undeniable. You know, the point is that there's things you gotta do to, to make an episodic series. It can't just all be nonsense all at once. You still gotta establish these people a little bit. Even if we know them as well as the Scooby Gang. Especially if we know them as well as the Scooby Gang. Uh, listeners, don't add us. And on that note... <laughs> no, you can, you can add us. Um, I can be found at the Billy Seaguire. Amelia is at Fatal Amelia. And we can be found collectively at Scooby underscore Deuce. You can also find all our old episodes streaming on our WordPress, Tumblr, and YouTube page, all under Scooby-Doo's or Scooby-Don'ts. We have a Patreon campaign, and I have my own personal YouTube channel, Fatal Amelia, for general spooky goings-on. Our next episode is Game of Chicken, and this seems appropriate. Chicken is something many people enjoy as a, as a meal. Of food stuff and, and Shaggy and Scooby often eat meals. They're also often cowardly. So that that's two tie-ins to Shaggy and Scooby. We are having chicken for dinner tonight, and I'm super hungry right now, and chicken takes a long time to cook, so like can you stop drawing this out? Yeah, I'm gonna go preheat <laughs> the oven. On that note, that's it from Scooby Dooby Us! To Scooby Dooby You. Thanks for making as much clattering as possible while you were making your exit. I'm doing a bit where I'm going to do the oven, so this is this is all part of a bit. <laughs>